This show is made possible by you, our listeners. If you like what you hear, and if you want to help us tell more stories and reach more people, then from only two US dollars a month, you can become a patron of the show. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. Hello, I'm Jake Lloyd and welcome to How to Build Community, a podcast and a radio show brought to you by Tier Fund's Footsteps magazine and Aruka Network. How do you create a culture of problem solving, whether in your neighbourhood or your organisation or really any area of life, if you're interested in shaping an environment in which you and the people around you are more able to face problems in a positive way, then this episode is for you. We've gathered together three really interesting people from three different parts of the world to try and find some answers to this question. It takes persistent, courageous people to push those boundaries and then create a sort of safe space to then dream and say, oh, actually, there's a different way possible. That was the voice of Erin Lloyd Rotich from Arkansas in the USA, who has trained organizations on something called psychological safety, which, as you'll soon hear, can be key to creating a culture of problem solving. And joining Erin in this episode is Pranaya Chetri, who leads Tierfan's work in Nepal. He has many decades of experience in leadership roles with churches and NGOs, and he's involved in something called CCT, which is Church and Community Transformation. It's an approach that encourages churches and communities to identify their needs and then work together to address these needs using local resources. And the idea is that this then reduces their dependency on support from outside of a community. And you'll also hear someone who might be a familiar voice if you're a regular listener to this show. Fwangman Oscar Danladi from Nigeria was a recent guest here on How to Build Community talking to us about a youth movement he helps to lead and their social enterprise that turns electronic waste into solar panels. And together, Erin, Pranaya, Oscar and I had a fascinating discussion recently on this topic of how to create a culture of problem solving. So keep listening and you'll hear what psychological safety is and why it's a crucial foundation to problem solving in a group. You'll learn why it's important for a group to envision a future beyond some of their most pressing problems. You'll also learn why it's important for leaders to develop things like courage, persistence and curiosity. And finally, you'll also hear why it's important to not be afraid to fail. But that's enough of me talking. Let's get into the conversation. And I began by asking each of my guests to introduce themselves to each other. My name is Erin Lloyd Rotich. I am a clinical counselor by training, and I have spent the last eight years in Nairobi, Kenya, where I was both counseling individuals and sometimes groups, as well as leading the training for an organization called Thrive Worldwide. And we trained organizations that needed help in terms of their staff well being and staff care. I come to this topic by way of something I really care about called psychological safety. And I'll talk more about that during the conversation. 
Thanks, Aaron. Uh, Pranaya, tell us about yourself. Uh, hello, everyone. Greetings from Nepal. I'm Pranay Pandichitri. I'm the country director in Tier Fund Country Office in Nepal. Uh, I've been uh, actively involved in church ministry as a lay leader uh, from a young age and also in the development sector uh, since last, uh, I would say, yeah, 20 years. Uh, so uh, my passion is to see church, you know, moving towards community uh, for the holistic transformation. And I'm also the elder of the church. I also served as a youth leader for almost uh, 12 years. And, and now I have handed over that responsibility since a uh, couple of years now uh, to my another leader. So, uh, and I'm actively involved as a trainer, you know, a supporter of the church and community mobilization process here in Nepal. And Oscar, I know you'll be a familiar voice to uh, listeners of this show, but do you want to do you want to reintroduce yourself for the benefit of those who've not heard you before? Okay, uh, I'm Oscar Pangmundaladi from Nigeria. I work directly as a grassroots activist, but I also work uh, with a group of young people, which started in 2015 as a movement called the Just Green Center. We majorly are concerned about the rising demography of young people in Nigeria and Africa. And we have committed ourselves to working around environmental justice and also as a way of creating what we call eco-jobs, eco-entrepreneurship, and addressing social issues through social enterprises. Um, The movement is growing, uh, growing across the country, and hopefully we're hoping to also reach out to other young people around Africa for a replication project to see how we could replicate what we're doing in our communities. Thank you, Oscar. Um, Erin, I'd love to start with you as we think about this subject, creating a culture of problem solving. Do you want to just start by telling us what psychological safety is and how it relates to this question we're asking in this episode? Sure. Psychological safety is actually a relatively new term. Um, if if most of the world knows about Google, it was really Google that popula- popularized the term. It means that you are not afraid to speak up. Um, so psychological safety, it's a really positive term, but the definition is includes some negative words. It belie- it's the belief that you won't be ashamed or humiliated or embarrassed if you speak up with ideas or maybe even you admit a mistake that you've made or you say something that you're a bit afraid to say. But if you are speaking up in a really safe, a psychologically safe environment, you're not afraid of what will happen if you speak up. So really, it relates to to innovation and to problem solving because you have to, you have to, create big ideas, right? You have to be unafraid to speak up. Um, And what we know about a problem-solving culture is that they're generally really psychologically safe um, because you have to be able to make mistakes, have um, kind of big ideas that might sound over, over simple to some people or crazy to other people. So it's kind of the foundation of the topic we're talking about today. Oscar, this makes me think of your story of young people getting involved in starting to solve this problem of e-waste. And I remember when we spoke in the previous episode, I think you told me 
I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, th- I think it was that young people are often not listened to, maybe not respected so much in 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 the culture. But but you've helped lead this project that in which young people have come up with these really transformative ideas for how to how to deal with e-waste. I wonder if what Erin says resonates with you and and how you how you help to create a similar sort of culture with working with young people in a culture where young people perhaps aren't aren't respected and aren't listened to. Absolutely, uh Jake, absolutely. Maybe we did we didn't even not being a professional in that area, we didn't even know that was what we're doing. But it resonates with me, particularly because of many years of being marginalized, many years of not being engaged, many years of not being listened to. You know, it sort of pushes, which is what we're we're dealing with, pushes the young people into some sort of an aspirational poverty. That is, they don't have any other aspirations. They're just living for food. You wake up in the morning and all you want to do is just look for what to eat. And uh, I, I share with you specifically an experience we had with some of the young people we are trying to sort of inspire for them to think big and think out of the box. So we we were facilitating this workshop where we were trying to tell these young people, can you dream big? Can you dream of a different community rather than the present state of your community where it's wrecked by environmental problems, lack of proper waste management, drug addiction, and all of that. Can you think of an alternative uh, context or community? Can you have an imagination of a different kind of community? And you could obviously see the uh, anger on the face of one of the young person who approached us and said, uh, why, why should we dream? We, we don't want to dream. Please don't force us into dreaming because it doesn't change anything. I would wake up the next morning and my problems will still be there. And again, it brings me to one of the principles I have learned working with these young people. So he has grown over the years to believe that there's nothing he can do to take his community out of poverty. Then here are we coming from outside just trying to tell this young person to think. And he thinks we're coming from a very privileged kind of context. So why should we force him to think? And, you know, this forced us to go back and rethink about our strategy of coming uh, to try to give these young people uh, heaven on in hell kind of vision. Rather, we learned how to sort of take them first out of their context, let them see the possibility of what other young people are able to do. That sort of inspires them. And then we just simply ask them, this visit, what did you see? And it, we, I, I notice that it does a lot of magic. So I, I don't know if that sort of fits into the question, but when uh, uh, she was talking, it sort of resonates with me. And I just thought of that particular experience we had with the young people. That's that's so interesting. So so you saw the the starting point as as uh, encouraging people to to imagine a new new possibilities and a new vision. Um, uh, Pranaya, I, I, I want to come to you very shortly, but Erin, what 
Oscar's said there, in terms of your experience of working with organizations on psychological safety, is that the starting point you'd work with? Is envisioning envisioning a different future, or would you start with something something different? Oh, I I actually loved Oscar's story because dreaming is is a really scary idea, right? So asking people to believe that there's something else possible kind of demands that you have a very safe environment. So I love what he did, which is taking them to see that it's possible, right? The belief had to be there. So psychological safety is a belief first. And um, then the possibility is there and they can actually start to talk about that. It's, it's such a beautiful story. Thanks for sharing, Oscar. You can start really anywhere with psychological safety. I tend to start, I think about the leaders as Oscar was talking about, um, you know, there was some doubt there because they imagined that they had privilege. And so I'm sure part of what he does as well is makes himself known to people, is vulnerable about his own beginnings with people. So I tend to start with leaders. I think leaders influence the culture the most. And I ask that they're courageous and they're vulnerable with their own stories. I think that really helps. And and again, I'll go back to that his idea of dreaming and picturing a better future is also a great way to start. It's just really vulnerable to ask people to do that because dreams are scary. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Pranaya, yeah, you're you're a leader with an enormous amount of experience with um, leading churches and NGOs, and you talked about this community community work. Um, what what Erin's just said there does that does that resonate with you and your experience of your work? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think uh, that is more kind of you know psychological aspect of uh, you know starting with envisioning. But, uh, you know, from our side, what we uh, do at the beginning is, you know, as I already mentioned in my introduction, we have this search and community mobilization process. You know, this is also a psychological uh, environment, which we are, especially in our third world countries, you know, heavily dependent upon foreign funds, heavily dependent on external support. Uh, so what we are trying to do is you know develop a community, develop an environment, develop a culture where that dependence is not there. You know, uh, uh, so what we start doing is again start with the same envisioning approach. You know, uh, first envisioning them uh, based on biblical foundations, and what we call is sangsangai. Uh, it's kind of approach that means working together with the community. So. Sangsangi happens when people in a church read the Bible together and hear what God is saying to them about their needs and how to solve um, them practically with local resources so that their families and church are strengthened and they become salt and light in their communities. So it, it starts with vision, uh, you know, taking them uh, to a journey together with the community. Uh, so that's what I feel at this point. We, we've we've touched on on culture here, haven't we? Like Pranaya, there you talked about the the obstacles in Nepal of of a donor dependency and a, a donor sort of beneficiary mindset. I'm curious to know if you if you're if you're over, trying to overturn this culture you've talked about, do you start small? Do you start by help um, working with people to identify smaller problems to to overcome, or can you give us some examples? 
Absolutely, Jack. Thank you. Uh, yes. Um, for example, I can give you, you know, it's a long process. I mean, uh, in a sense, it takes almost two to three years when we start, you know, slowly training. But to give example, you know, we were training one church, you know, uh, how to identify problems uh, in surrounding communities. You know, they do all this kind of, you know, what we call in our NGO language project cycle management. But it's very simple way to make a map of, you know, their community. Where are the problems? Where are the issues? And prioritize them, you know, which small thing they can start. So, you know, it was quite amazing, you know, that torch was in, uh, it's kind of uh, in the hill area. So they had to drive down to come to the cities or market area. So every day they were working in those areas, but they never saw the needs. There was, you know, one big uh, factory where, you know, many uh, people from far, you know, remote areas, they come and stay almost for, you know, six months or so and do hard work right from early from 3 3 a.m., 4 a.m., the whole day, you know, and their kids were there all wandering here and there without education. But when we went through this process, you know, their eyes opened and they identified the needs there. So they started to training uh, these children, uh, educating these children, you know, the church and volunteers in those big factories, you know, they were living in small huts and helping them in education because now uh, their education has been stopped. And there are so many examples like this. So uh, it is a non-directive principle. We want them to identify themselves so that, you know, they prioritize. And as you uh, said in the question, uh, we also start this with at family level. You know, first it starts with family level, then what can you do in the church and community? So I just give one example uh, this time about the community, how they start reaching in the area of educating the children. That's great. Thank you, Pranaya. I'm, I'm interested, Erin, so Pranaya and Oscar, well, Pranaya, it sounds like you travel around a bit, but Oscar, you're, you're based at this community centre working with young people on an ongoing basis. And Pranaya, it sounds like you often do something similar. But Erin, you, your work would be being invited into an organisation and running, running a training and things like this. I just wonder, you know, when we talk about culture change, it's it's not like a you do one course and the culture changes. It's a, it's an ongoing thing. I just wonder when you run these trainings with people on psychological safety, what kind of things you do in order to try and make sure that these things become embedded and, and lasting? Oh, such a good question. But you need a combination of different things, right? You need to change your, your routines a bit. So you need to have some sort of routine where People are talking honestly about what's going on with themselves and the problems that they see, uh, a lot like what Pranaya was saying, right? Um, and you need to change in, in terms of um, how you approach people. Something I love he was saying, a core concept of psychological safety is curiosity. So it's, it's key to change your perspective from investigation to curiosity. So investigation assumes um, kind of that there's something negative there and we just have to figure it out and keep moving, right? Curiosity says what's possible. There's probably a good reason that that's happening, but what's possible? So for example, you know, all of those kids are there instead of just 
looking at them and saying, okay, I guess the people that are working in that industry just have to bring their kids and they just have to sit there. What's possible for those kids? So I really appreciated that. So a lot of it is um, trying to bring that curiosity in. And in, in terms of how do you build that? Again, I would say it generally starts with with leaders and helping them to build better routines and better practices. But um, the other good news is that vulnerability is contagious. Curiosity is contagious. So once one key person starts to do that, it really shifts how people think. That's something you heard in Oscar's story as well. That's so interesting. What about, um, so one thing that's coming to mind from from you guys speaking, each of you speaking actually, is that I would imagine when when we're talking about a, a change of culture, whether it be in a church in Nepal, in a youth center in Nigeria, or in an organization in the US, people have become quite set in their ways. And if we're talking about, Erin, you're talking about working with leaders, you know, Oscar working with young people who, who are perhaps uh, reluctant to, to see things in a different way to what they normally have seen. Do you think or have you experienced uh, having to have diff- difficult conversations with people and, and challenging their thinking and thinking that's been embedded for a long time? How have you gone about having those conversations? Um, Oscar, I'll put that question to you first. That, like you, you gave an example at, at the beginning of this young person who said, "Don't, don't tell me to to dream because I'll only end up disappointed." Um, what did you What did you say in that situation? You, you know, it, it's our own culture here. Is you want to look for the culprit who is responsible, rather than being curious about the opportunities that could be lying within a particular problem. So uh, we have tried to move the young people because over and over we've had young people who just don't want to dream. They don't want to see the possibilities and the opportunities that could be lying there within a problem. So what we have tried to do is to sort of shift their attention from trying to find a culprit because truly and really, when you look at our own problems, particularly in the developing world, uh, uh, the truth is leadership is, is a failure of leadership. You find many other factors linked to why we are where we are, why poverty and all of those things. But uh, we have constantly pointed the young people to rather than focus on who is the culprit let's get the culprit and punish him why not focus more on what are the opportunities within this problem and i give you an example at, at some point in time there was a strike in the city where i work and this massive strike led to the fact that the the government agency responsible for clearing the the dirt and the waste in the city center were on strike and for weeks this whole thing became a mess but but you know it offered a couple of young people the opportunity to sit down and think about rather than focus on who is the culprit who is responsible and now the first step to solving that problem was not to find who is responsible 
but it was for us to sit down and look at what opportunities are there. And conversations started going on and we discovered that for things like the banners that are usually hanged up there for events, what can we do with them? And that was where our first uh, quick win project came from. Young people started pulling them up, turning them into shopping bags. And that was a problem. But rather than focus on who is the culprit, we started uncovering what opportunities, and like Erin said, we, the curiosity of what opportunities could be lying there within this same problem. And that's what we keep doing or we keep trying to do with young people who don't want to dream. We offer them the fact that when you dream, you see the opportunities that are lying there in the problem and how you can take, <laughs> take hold of such an opportunity and convert it into a better life for yourself. So that, that's so, sort of an example of what I can share with what we, how we respond. We shift the attention from the culprit to begin to think of how to uncover opportunities within the problem. I, I can imagine that when people start to see the, a sort of a, a different approach to looking at problems and, and seeing people embody this this culture that we're talking about that it can become quite infectious that other people see it and think oh we can we can get involved in this um oscar i wonder if you've seen that in in your youth work we see it in two sort of a coin with two sides yes uh you see quite a number of young people getting interested and wanting to also rise up and do something similar uh, within their own context. So I agree, it's sort of, uh, it's contagious. However, we also see, we see another flip side, which is some people would rather want to oppose the change or oppose the idea of wanting to problem solve. In fact, uh, when, when we started, we, we were expecting to see people embrace this whole idea of young people wanting to create a change or problem solve. But what came to us was discouragement. And the discouragement is coming from people that we were expecting should support us. And again, I would give you an example. We started this whole journey of wanting young people to think about innovating, looking at problems within the environment and innovating to solve it. And we approached a group of people that we were hoping should support us. And we wanted to host a youth and green jobs conference. That's what we titled it. We tagged it. And we approached these guys to say, okay, this is what we're doing. This is what we've done. But this is what we hope to achieve we can, if we can host this conference. And they said, it's a very fantastic idea. We love what you're doing but we would rather want you to just remove the youth from the title of the conference. Just leave it as, as a green jobs conference. But we were very deliberate about why we wanted it to be youth and green jobs conference. But because within our own context, uh, uh, like I shared, young people are within the category of what, what they call the nerd category, not engaged, not employed, and not educated. Uh, they felt, why do you want to go that route? Why not just change it and do something different uh, that will still take you to 
where you achieve the same goal of sensitizing people around green jobs and all of that. Now, this for me is the flip side. Rather than these guys just jumping on this thing and supporting it and encouraging it, they would rather want to oppose it. So apart from, which is a challenge, but because we remain resolute why we wanted to do it, why we wanted it to be youth and green jobs, uh, then down the line, these people are coming back to say, we want to support this idea. So yes, it can be contagious, but sometimes it will have to go through phases of adversity or rather phases of obscurity. Then you would have adversity, some people coming to work against it before you even have that phase of, uh, of celebrity, if I can call it that. Uh, because when we started, there was, it was obscure. What are these guys trying to do? This is strange. Uh, young people are known to do drugs and to do that. Why are you people trying to change the narrative? Then we now had people coming to oppose it, which is some sort of a phase of adversity. Then now we're at the phase where it's almost like people want to celebrate us. But it didn't get from, we, we didn't just jump off, you know, from the beginning and we got here. So it can be contagious, uh, but sometimes you would face opposition and you have to stand your ground uh, and believe what you believe because it's the belief that would uh, help you run with this idea and with this vision and with this problem-solving framework that you have. And when you don't hold what you believe, people would fight it and you would end up not having it uh, infecting anybody uh, other person. That's so interesting. I wonder that sounds that sounds like a you know an obstacle this um th- this opposition from some people to what you're trying to do. I wonder um if I could ask Erin and Pranaya what you guys have seen as well, what what is the biggest obstacle in your experience to to creating this culture. Um Pranaya, I'll ask you that first if that's all right. Thank you. I think Erin's uh, you know example was quite interesting. I was thinking about a similar thing, you know, when we talk about infectious, you need a host, you know, it doesn't happen automatically. So and there's a very clear role we need to play. You know, when we started, you know, this uh, uh, non-directive and uh, non-funding approach, you know, capacity building approach, uh, vision giving approach, we started just with 15 churches, uh, piloting them, uh, you know, with three denominations, you know. And if we see now, it goes, you know, we have now reached almost 600 charges with nine denominations and many requests are people are coming. So major obstruction at the beginning, I would say, is to break that culture which we were talking about, you know, culture of dependency, you know, culture, uh, you know, which we, we ourselves have developed, you know, in the NGO world about project, you know, with all these different lock frames, you know, different planning process. So I think we are uh, getting that uh, you know, obstruction on that approach. So when we provide vision, when we work with faith leaders, you know, it's more a biblical based, you know, uh, vision for better future, vision for holistic change, holistic transformation is what is needed. So uh, many times, even the leaders, you know, some of the leaders, those who have been there for a long time, those things might be also obstacles. So I'm not against any leaders, uh, you know, but, you know, sometimes that's happened because the way you are brought up, the way you are schooled, you know, the, your worldview matters. But to solve that obstacle, I think you need to work with some gatekeepers within that 
might be same denomination or church or community who can really take this forward, you know. Uh, so work with those, um, you know, uh, gatekeepers. So I, we have been doing that and quite successful uh, so far and lots of demand we're getting. So that is what I feel, you know, uh, sometime the host is needed, uh, which really gives that vision, uh, you know, takes that forward, you know, little bit extra, uh, you know, support or extra um, vision uh, we need to give. And and with those gatekeepers, uh, how do you go about working with them? You know, do you need to inspire them? Do you need to build a relationship with them? How how do you, what do you do to excite them about what you're what you're talking about? Yes, that's absolutely uh, yeah, very great question because you know uh, the identification gatekeepers is first. What we do is you know when we have this vision seminars or envisioning conferences or works of whatever we, we we identify those who are very much passionate interested to take this forward then we start as you said you know building relationship with them and giving them extra uh, capacity building extra training you know uh, journeying together with them rather than leaving them so you know that is how uh, i think which we need to do you know uh, main thing is to have passion and vision within them which will lead them forward. So uh, working together after we identify them, uh, that is what I feel. Mm. Um, thanks, Pranaya. Erin, I'd like to come to you. Uh, you know, I've known you for a little while and I think you always bring a, um, just a, a different and interesting perspective to any at pretty much any subject. I, I just wonder what, if, if, if anything, what, what's, what the key things that have been missing from this conversation so far? Are there, are there particular things you're thinking, right, we really need to address this when it comes to creating a culture of problem solving? Well, let me summarize what I'm hearing so far, because actually the personhood of Pranaya and Oscar is what's brought their culture change to happening. So it's hmm. funny. It's like you're asking the actual people who have done the culture change to think about how they've done it. So from the outside, it's so interesting because I what I hear is culture, how we usually define culture, right, at an organization is this is how we do things, right? That's the simple way. When you hear people say this is how we do things, they're talking about culture, the the culture of how things are done. So when anyone comes and says, let's do things a new way, it's scary, right? It, it goes against how people want to act. And that's where you get that resistance Oscar was talking about. Pranaya talked about that too. So it takes persistent, courageous people like Pranaya and Oscar to push those boundaries and then create a sort of safe space. If it's for youth with Oscar, if it's for the church leaders, with Pranaya to then dream and say, oh, actually, there's a different way possible. But you see, they created that themselves. They were the kind of the culture pushers. And so they had to internally kind of stick to their purpose, stick to their persistency and their, their courageousness in a way that maybe the other people around them weren't quite doing. So it's actually them. You're talking to the change makers on on this on this um, podcast. So it's really been interesting for me to sit back and hear them be those key people. That's really interesting. So I think both Oscar and Pranaya, um, you both seem like quite charismatic people to me, um, and I can imagine you know if I if I 
lived in your community, worked for your organization, were involved, I would be, I would listen to things that you guys said and think, right, yeah, I'm going to follow them. How important, Erin, I'll put this question back to you. How important do you think a charismatic leader is to, to creating culture change then? Yeah, I mean, it's, I would say you have to pair it, right? So you have to pair charisma, which is that thing that kind of acts like a magnet to people, you know, brings people to the conversation, says, okay, I'll listen to this guy. Exactly what you said. You have to pair charisma with someone who's going to really be persistent and do the work. And that's the uniqueness that I hear in both of them, right? You can't just have a kind of a false charisma of like, listen to me, but I'm going to have other people do it. (laughs) Or listen to me, but I haven't really been through this challenge myself. I don't really know where I'm coming from. See, the, the, the wonderful quality of both Oscar and and Pranaya is that they've walked the walk themselves and they're they have that sense of charisma or or kind of magnetness to them, whatever we want to call that. Um so it's both. It's both and mm. Jake. Sally, just uh, sorry for interrupting because uh, I think I really liked what Erin has mentioned, you know, about courage and become charisma. And I think I just like to give one example, you know, as I mentioned that we started with 15 churches piloting because before that we have been working with so many uh, leaders, so many churches, you know, Uh, this was a small start. So even after that, you know, we worked with one local partner uh, for almost, I would say, four years, and we saw the result. But one day, this, uh, you know, the leader of this organization comes and talks, says to me, you know, now it's been very difficult without giving any incentive or giving any money to the project, you know, can we do something in to support something for the community or for the people or give incentive, something like that. So, you know, uh, that's why, you know, what Erin mentioned, you know, the courage is needed. So I was, you know, really uh, passionate about this work and uh, I know that it works. And I said, you know, see, I have so many ideas, so many ways of working. And I really said, you know, uh, if if you think, you know, door is closing, there are hundreds of doors God will open. Then uh, if you want to do it, then go ahead. There's lots of opportunities, you know, now lots of questions coming. So why don't you try it? You know, he was, you know, giving reasons of government approvals and all these problems because it's mostly capacity building approach. You know, there's no anything tangible stuff you can see uh, with the money you give. But, you know, when I said that, you know, he went back and and the organization is now we are working uh, together with them, uh, really scaled up you know, with another three more, four more denominations and with other networks, uh, you know, other three networks. And this year, they're really going to scale it, scale up the work. So I think this is where uh, you need to really join it together, challenge them and be courageous. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Thank you. Mm, no, no, don't apologize. Uh, Oscar, I'll come to you. So, um, I mean, do you want to pick up on anything that's been said there about uh, leadership and charisma? Um or, or follow up on so what I asked Aaron just then about what, what's missing in this conversation when we're talking about creating a culture of problem solving. I mean, just to appreciate Aaron for those kind words. Uh, <laughs> uh, sometimes you never know what you're doing uh, until you just get to sit uh, with professionals like Aaron that sort of analyzes it and gives you the frame and, you know, the the template because again sometimes 
for some of us, we just do it on the job and it's, it's, it just comes very spontaneously. Uh, and I, I would say, really, I, I, I totally agree with Erin about courage beyond just being charismatic about courage. Uh, because when we started the journey of sort of inspiring these young people, we had some very charismatic young people within the leadership because the the movement started with with 50 initial core group members that were so, supposed to uh, you know trigger the whole movement and inspiring young people and we had really amazing charismatic people amongst us but i discovered that charisma alone could not take some of them some of them had to leave and it's because they were fearful and because challenging a context, challenging a culture, challenging something that has been there many years before you were even born, it's, it's scary. And I, I, I don't think a good leader is one who does not have doubts. I mean, I have my doubts some days. I wake up and I'm like, is this really what I want to do? But, but I think courage is the antidote to doubt and just that willingness to fail that openness to fail uh, and i think it was on one of the episodes on on aruka that i i had feeling forward you know mm. <laughs> rather than feeling backward uh, and it was after the whole conversation we had i went through some of the podcasts here that i discovered that one of the secrets of changing it difficult culture is being open to failing but failing forward is what makes you change the context and we have done a couple of projects that have failed we've engaged a couple we did a replication project around nigeria only one group sustained itself in the northeast some part of nigeria and the youth movement they're doing amazing stuff there uh, but but i think what kept us was this very openness to fail rather than being afraid to fail. And a lot of those charismatic guys for many years, they didn't want to fail. They, they don't want to have anything that shows that they have failed in their lives. And since then, when we're recruiting young people to be part of the center, the question we ask them is, have you failed before? And they are always shocked. And, you know, because of the religious mindset we have here sometimes it's difficult to acknowledge that failure is part of the learning process so some of them when you say have you failed before they say god forbid <laughs> <laughs> they say god forbid uh, but but we've discovered that over the years those who have failed and have not stayed down but they have tried again they are the best leaders that they are the kind of leaders that can cause change that can create change and shifts in culture mm. for those who are fearful and afraid to fail it's always very difficult to make a shift in culture because it's scary mm. we've pretty much run out of time unfortunately uh oscar that was fascinating i i, I just i would love to just ask each of you before we go, I often like to ask people to share a sort of practical tip for, for anyone listening to this who's been inspired by it or encouraged by it and wants to 
put something into into action now, whether it be in their you know their neighborhood or their family or their workplace or you know whatever it is what's a good practical tip what's a good starting point for for creating this culture um pranaya can i can i ask you first thank you zek uh yes uh, three things i would like to mention at the end um be persistence you know and the second thing is to be stick in the vision never get alarmed uh, with obstacles and the final thing is to believe in your destination you know where you want to go and move on that so that's what i feel you know uh, when we are thinking of problem solving thank you mm. thank you oscar so uh, jake for me i would simply say there there are three a's first is to avoid thinking too much about the problem but looking at the possibilities of solution in the problem and then the second is to avoid uh looking for the culprit but you know rather focusing on uh the benefits of what your solution will bring and then lastly is to just attain your dreams because sometimes problems give us, they give us the opportunity to to dream so you avoid uh thinking too much of the problem avoid looking for the culprit uh, and then you know sort of achieve your dreams through problem these three things sort of inspires a lot of problem solving uh it's part of our own experience mm. thanks oscar um erin i'm going to give you the final word um it was it was you talking about psychological safety that inspired this episode so any any practical tips you want to share but also just any closing remarks in in general take it away yeah oh, so good i've been really inspired myself by this conversation so thank you i would just say um i'm reflecting on that last thing that oscar was talking about which is that that failing forward idea and on the overall tone of this conversation which has been a lot about courage and those are key concepts here you you kind of need they go together right you have to have courage to make mistakes to take big steps to dream right and so i would say to you do do whatever it takes to do that first big step the first risk so if you see something you've been thinking about something a long time um in terms of a solution to a problem or you've been even just concentrating on the problem and how it annoys you right take that first big step that first risk um and see what happens if it's failure good that pushes you forward right yeah so i would just honor what they've said and and echo that i'm inspired and i want to do something myself that was erin lloyd roteach who's trained people in psychological safety before that, you heard Tiafans Pranaya Chetri from Nepal and also Fwangmun Oscar Danladi from the Joss Green Center in Nigeria. That's almost it for this episode. Before we go, don't forget you can catch up on previous episodes of How to Build Community on our SoundCloud page or in your podcast player. Just search How to Build Community. You can help support this show by making a small monthly donation on our Patreon page. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. And Aruka is spelled A-R-U-K-A-H. 
You can learn more about Arika on the website arikanetwork.org. You can learn more about Footsteps on the website learn.tierfund.org. And finally, if you have some feedback on this show or maybe some suggestions for a future interviewee, then you can reach me via email jake at arikanetwork.org. But that's it for this episode. Until next time, bye for now.